There are no outsiders to God's love. We've just listened to the excellent Rend Collective song, and you can blame Helen. She got me onto their album, and uh, I know you're probably like, enough Rend Collective. <laughs> but every time I listen to a new song, I think, wow, gee, that speaks to um, what we are working through together as a church. We're looking at our seventh core value out of 12, find out, help out. Number seven, so we've now covered six, four for each part of our church mission statement, which is love God, love others, make disciples. It's what we're aiming to do well. Love God, love others, and make disciples. So how do we love God as a church? I just want to quickly race through some revision. This was what we've been looking at the last six weeks. Uh, we've suggested that our core value number one is known and loved. It speaks to our identity what sort of script are we living out of? How do we become the person we're meant to be? Does society, does culture just tell us or does the Bible? And the Bible tells us we are known by God before we were born. And he has loved us with an eternal love demonstrated in Christ. And when we can understand that we are known and loved, it sets a platform for everything for our lives as individuals and as a church. Core value number two is Jesus is worth it. The worship of the one true living God should be our greatest passion. It's what we want to do as a church. We want to order our desires correctly. We can't get rid of desire. Desire is good. God gave us desire, but we need to order them correctly. So our passion for Jesus is at the top. And worship is so much more than Sunday. Um, it's all week and he is worth our very best. Amen. Jesus is worth it and much, much more. Core value number three is God speaks, we listen because he's worth everything. He's the one who created everything. He sustains life. He knows life. So we want to come under his word as God's people and believe that there is a transcend transcendent truth that is overarching our lives and the world. When the world says to us, there is no such thing as truth. As a church, we say, yes, there is. We find it in God's word and we come under it by his grace. Core value number four is his grace is enough. We love God by recognizing that because his grace is enough, because his fame is worth it, we will take steps of faith. We will take risks in his name to take his glory to the world. That's why we take steps of faith, because we know God's worth it. We want to show our love back to him by stepping out in his name through his grace. We want to be generous as a church because there's an endless supply. Um, often groups, churches can get into a scarcity mindset. There's just not enough to go around, but we want to have a value that says, no, it's God. His grace is limitless. His love is limitless. Why not have a go? And uh, that's how we're going to love him, by being a blessing because we've been blessed. Core value number five, life matters. We move into loving others. And loving others starts with the stewardship mandate. People and planet matter. Life matters because God made it all. And in Genesis, he said to Adam and Eve, look after it. And that mandate hasn't gone away. So when we have a footprint in Hornsby... We want to treat people with the love that God has put inside of us because life matters. Amen? 
Life matters. So we want to steward everything we have really well. And then last week we looked at core value number six, canvas of color. How do we do this? How do we steward the gospel? How do we steward the love of God to love others? We do it together as a team, more than a team, as a family. We are diverse. God is loving people and telling his story like an artist painting his story on the canvas of generations in the colours of the nations. So what God wants to do in history is bigger than one generation. And we talked about the fact that our church is 114 years old, so there's no one generation that's still alive that was there at the start. We need to have really well-sewn seams between the generations in this canvas of colour which celebrates a big God and a diverse family. So we then come to core value number seven, which is in the loving others part of our mission statement. Find out, help out. And Alan read us this passage. I'm going to read part of it again in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? This Jewish leader is trying to trick him, trying to find out how would he respond, this so-called guru. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's probably expecting Jesus to say something like, follow me. But he doesn't say that at all. Jesus responds wisely, verse 26, what is written in the law? He responds with a question. And uh, the Pharisee, the Jewish leader says, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds like a good mission statement. Two thirds we've got. Love God, love others. Uh, Verse 28, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, the parable that we heard. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. All the people listening to this story knew it's a windy, dangerous road. Anyone driven it? A few of us? I have. It's really cool to do. Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho and you're like, this this would be a dangerous road 2,000 years ago. And uh, so the listeners realise this is realistic that uh, uh, someone has been walking down this road and been attacked by robbers that stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, we can only assume that they realise the man that was beaten up is one of them. He's a Jew. And then so Jesus moves on, the story that we've just heard read to us. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. Can you imagine ever doing that? That's despicable, isn't it? Who did this on the way to church today? Someone's broken down at the lights and you're like, I'm running late for church. Sorry, mate. (laughs) Drive on by. It's easy to do this. I mean, let's remember, it's a dangerous place to stop. It's a dangerous road. But Jesus doesn't give any space for the logical excuses. He just says, he came along, he saw the man and he passed on the other side. 
He doesn't even find out what really is the man's issue, what the man's needs are. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side as well. And who are the Levites? They're really a holy tribe. They're the ones who look after the stuff of Leviticus, professional ministers. Jesus says that Levite wasn't very interested in finding out what the issue was. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And we've talked a lot about the Samaritans before, very despised race. Jerusalem, straight north towards the top, uh, uh, towards uh, Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Right in the middle there is Samaria. And they're a hybrid people. They had sort of abandoned their faith, and so the Jews really hated them, really despised them. So this despised one, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when the Samaritans saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He's not, he's not really being that tricky for these people, is he? It's a pretty simple question. Um, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus tells the man, go and do likewise. As we consider loving others, it's hard to go past the Good Samaritan story, isn't it? It's sort of gold standard. It's a gold standard of loving others. And it tells us, Jesus is telling us, that followers of Jesus need to move past racial boundaries. Take the love of God to love others. They need to move past social status boundaries. Poor or rich, it doesn't matter. I think he's saying you've got to go past gender and generation boundaries because there are no outsiders to his love. So we're suggesting that a helpful way to consider loving others at its most fundamental level is with these simple words, find out, help out. What did the priest do in Jesus' story? He noticed a person naked and half dead. Doesn't sound good. And what does he do? He does the opposite of finding out. See someone half dead? Hmm. I think if I avoid that side of the road, think about the simplicity of this story. Half dead man, what will I do? I'm going to go on this side of the road and if I sing, great is thy faithfulness, and look in another direction, I'll still be able to feel good about myself because I am a priest. If I can just do attention management, self-deception is alive and well in every era. Yes. We love to do attention management. Because if I don't know about it, I don't have to be accountable. So not finding out is a key to not getting involved. The Levite does the same thing. Crosses over the road to avoid finding out. Samaritan walks along and verse 34 is the key. There's only four words there, but it says he went to him. He saw a man who was looking half dead 
and he went to find out. We don't know if he, if he was able to ask the, the man a question. He may have been unconscious. But he still went over to find out. Maybe he needs to do some first aid. But he went over to the problem to find out, to assess the situation. Who's ever found it hard in their life to get off your seat and go over to find out? It sort of takes a bit of courage. It, 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 we need something to get us out of apathy, don't we? I think I've told you this story a couple of years ago um, at Bangor. Leanne and I were uh, woken at about 1am in the morning. I think it was a Saturday night before church. The priest was trying to get good sleep, right? Probably had to preach a sermon the next morning. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, there was a noise. And I thought, wow, that is a really awful sound. And it ended up being a child. So we the bedroom was at the front of the house. And the child was screaming from across the road. Get up. Get up. I want to go home. I want to go home. And then it starts, she's, the, there was a boy, started saying, Mom, Mom, get up. Get up. I want to go home. I want to go home. And uh, what do you do? It's one o'clock in the morning. And there was, to be honest, there was something in me that went, if you cross the other side of the road right now, if you pull the doona up, that will become more and more muffled and you won't have to break your sleep. After all, you are a priest. You've got a sermon to preach tomorrow. And not always have I done this in my life, but I did happen to get up, probably because my wife looked at me and sort of went... This is your moment to be courageous and godly. And I thought, oh, you didn't, need, you didn't need to do that? I was going to do it. So I went across there and I found a really disturbing scene. There was a, a woman who was paralytically drunk. She could barely talk at the start. And there was probably a six-year-old boy who was really distressed. And um, she then passed out in her vomit. And um, I was trying to talk to this boy. We, we ended up getting on to the ambulance and the police came and they took over the situation. Um, what was interesting was uh, it didn't uh, cause a stir in the street. There was no crowd that turned up. Um, but maybe they looked out and uh, saw that there was someone there. Everything changes when you find out. Have you found that? Everything changes when you find out. An aggravating noise becomes a distressed young boy. A drunk mum, if I had the time to understand, I bet would be a woman filled with pain and hopelessness. And I could judge her like the Ambos did, mate. They were putting the knee into this woman go, you filthy wretch. But I thought, you know what? She's probably got a lot of problems in her life to be in this place. And the poor kid, and it's a picture of dysfunction. But if you don't go to find out... You can sit back and be a righteous Pharisee very easily, can't we? We don't want to say amen to it because that means so be it. (laughs) But it's the truth. The Samaritan went and found out. And then he helped out. See, finding out just can't be the end. Loving others involves finding out and then having a bit of a check to see what you might be able to do to help out. So our core value is find out, help out. As I thought about loving others, I don't know if there's a more simple way to put it. 
get close enough to find out what the issue is and you never know, you might be able to do something about it. Let's look at our text. What does the Samaritan do? He puts something together to use as a bandage. He, probably, he hasn't, doesn't do it with leaves. He takes clothing. Maybe he tears some strips off. He's looking at what he's got. He's thinking his grace is enough. I, I've got enough. I can do something. So bandages wounds. What else has he got? Some oil and wine. So he uses what he has. And then I, I like this. I think the Samaritan looks at his donkey and he looks at his own legs and he goes, oh, I guess I could walk and put you on my donkey. So we don't know how far it is, but maybe it's a long way that he puts this man somehow on this donkey and takes them down to get some care. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Where does he get the money from? It's in his pocket. He's like, how could I help this guy? Look after him, he said. When I return, I'm going to do something else to help him out. I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Whatever this guy had at his disposal, he was willing to use to help out. And then Jesus says to the teacher of the law, go and do likewise. Find out, help out. You know, crossing the street and going over to a person isn't enough, is it? Can you imagine the comedy sketch? This would be a good comedy sketch, I reckon. You have a person over there beaten up. That's not funny, but, you know, it's a church comedy sketch. Beaten up person and the good Samaritan comes over notices goes over to find out and then is like you know it reminds me of a time when i got beaten up and then proceeds to spend the next half hour telling con- connecting like we all do well yeah i notice you're beaten up oh you should have seen why i got beaten up oh, well, i got beaten up probably five times and the poor guys are going i just need a glass of water yeah no wait on mate i'm just telling you the story so we love to connect Maybe not find out quite that much and maybe not help out that much. And then he moves off and doesn't actually help the man. I think the problem is not that many of us are that good at finding out. Is that fair to say? Because finding out is about listening. Not so many of us are great at this art of listening. So sometimes we have to get some uh, skill sets from different people and you um, go on um, to your bookshop and find a, a good book on listening skills because for the second half of the message, I'm going to talk about some practical stuff. Um, finding out requires this ability to discover, to listen well. One of the greatest books on community in the church ever written was by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer... Uh, talks about listening well. Let me give you six things that he says are involved in listening well, very quickly. Good listening requires patience. Good listening requires patience. Bonhoeffer says, we must avoid a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. He says, this is an impatient, inattentive listening that, and this is a fantastic line, is only waiting for a chance to speak. Imagine you asked a group, give me a definition of what listening is, and they go, waiting for a chance to speak. That's profound. Listening is waiting for a chance to speak. No, it's not. Good listening 
he says, requires concentration and means we're in with both ears and that we hear the other person out till they're done speaking. Have you noticed that most people won't tell you the deep stuff straight away? So if you only ever hear the first part, you're probably never going to listen to the, the deep stuff. So patience is required. Bonhoeffer suggests good listening is an act of love. And it's really powerful. He just talks about Philippians 2. Now, I'm not going to read out Philippians 2, but Philippians 2 is that amazing passage where it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, considered equality with God, not something to be grasped, but gave it up, made himself nothing, took on the form of a man, of human being, and, and was a servant, and gave his life on the cross. Listening is like that. It's the mindset of Christ. It's humility to be a good listener. It looks not only to its own interests, but also the interests of others, Philippians 2.4. It's patient and kind, 1 Corinthians 13.4. Who would have thought that at morning tea we can put all this Christian stuff into practice? We can love. We can love people by listening. He says, good listening asks perceptive questions. Check this out. These are thousands of year old proverbs. The fool, it's the fool who takes no pleasure in understanding but only expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18. Where do they get this wisdom from? That's a fool. Doesn't matter what era you lived in, people are like, I'm not really interested in what you're saying, but I'd love to express my opinion. So Proverbs says, You're a fool if that's the way you live. And thus gives an answer before he hears. The purpose. In a person's heart is like deep water, says Proverbs 20, verse 5. But a person of understanding will do what? Draw it out. It takes patience. Bonhoeffer says, number four, good listening is ministry. Often a person can be helped merely by having someone who will listen to them seriously. At times what our neighbour needs most is for someone else to know. Don't you reckon that's profound? What our neighbour, what the person at Morning Tea needs most maybe is just for someone else to know. So isn't that empowering? Help out. I may not have much to do other than just listen. And you'll know that I know. And maybe something will happen from that. Maybe I'll pray. Maybe I'll be able to help out. Number five, good listening prepares us to speak well. He says the best ministry you might do today is to listen to someone's pain all the way to the bottom. Isn't that a beautiful way to express it? The best thing you might do is to listen to someone's pain all the way to the bottom. Sometimes good listening only listens and ministers best by keeping quiet. But typically, he says, good listening readies us to minister words of grace to precisely the place where the other is in need. So if we jump to the conclusion, we'll give the wrong answer. We'll minister in the wrong way. And the last thing... Good listening reflects our relationship with God. This is pretty challenging. He says, He who can no longer listen to his brother will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattling in the presence of God too. This is the beginning of the death of the spiritual life. Anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God and his brother but only for himself and for his own follies. It's all a bit serious. We 
rob others of being a blessing to them when we don't listen and we rob ourselves. 1 John 3.18 is a guiding verse for us for loving others. John says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love in action. It's not just words. So when we find out the need, we get to help out. How do we get to help out? This is a really wonderful thing in the church is we get to help out as team. We get to help out as family. So you are good at finding out, but you can't provide all the needs and you start getting stressed out. You don't have to be. Why? Because we're part of a family. We're part of a team. If I can find out what the issue is, then maybe together we can solve it, provide help, change the situation. Suddenly the help out is a potent force when it's all of us. Amen? Yes, anybody? Like if we can do it together, we can actually make a difference on this canvas of colour because we're a diverse family. So very quickly to finish off, shape. Shape is a useful acrostic. I think Rick Warren used it first as a way of thinking about our uniqueness. Shape. It stands for spiritual gifts. We have different spiritual gifts. How are we going to help out after we find out? It's going to be the spirit moving through us. Some of us are teachers. Administration is our gift. Shepherding, mercy, healing, discernment, faith, giving, hospitality helps. We all need to do first aid. But the ongoing care of that person in need, that'll be best done by someone with a, a gifting in that in that way h stands for heart heart and i remember rick warren talking about heart being like the passion so a spiritual gift he would say would be like my spiritual gift might be um i'm a carpenter i can do this thing as building stuff as a carpenter someone else might have a gift like an electrician someone else might have a gift like a plumber but our heart passion is building homes for the homeless so all the spiritual gifts come together on the one site, which is the heart. So <clears throat> we have different passions, different um, inclinations of our heart. There might be a teacher who loves to teach little kids. Another teach, teacher wants to teach the elderly. It's a beautiful thing, the church, isn't it? We have different spiritual gifts. We're at different levels of that. It's a spiritually empowered ability. But we also have different inclinations of our heart, passions, things we get excited about. A stands for abilities. It's not all just sort of spiritual stuff. Some of us are really good at different things that you might not think are helpful. Um, probably not too many surfers here. I know there's a few golfers, there's gardeners, there's cooks, there's people who are great with technology and amazing with video production. And I know some people can write a will for someone. Um, you have hobbies, different ways you connect with life and people. Our different diverse abilities help us help people out, find out, help out. That ability you have, that hobby, maybe that's the thing that God is going to use to connect with all these people as God opens up opportunities for ministry because we all want to have a part to play. P stands for personality. Personality. Check out. Um, I know the, the women are talking about doing this. Check out what your personality is. It's not gospel, truth, 
The Bible gives us that. Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, there's different ways you can check out your personality. We will help out people in response to finding out in line with our personality. Who likes to be really spontaneous? Karen Brading does. <laughs> Richard touches his forehead at the back. But anyone who comes up and says, oh, I think it's too hot, let's get them all to come over to our place, have a swim. Can you see that happening? That's a personality type saying, it's okay, we roll with the punches. Someone else is not opening up their home without six months' notice, yes? <laughs> oh, that'd be great, but give me six months. And that's okay. Find out, help out. The introverts are going to serve and love people in different ways to the extroverts. We've got 99% introverts at this church. Did you know that? No, I'm just joking. But it's something like that. <laughs> you're our one, Janet. <laughs> the extrovert. Oh, you're an introvert. I know we're 100%. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. I know Rachel's an extrovert, so we've got one. But I think we actually need to be a diverse group, don't we? We need, that's why God has different denominations. Did you work that out? They attract different types of people and it's okay as long as Jesus is Lord and we love God and his word. E stands for experiences, something we've all had. Don't you reckon that's an amazing way to help people? We come out there and we find out someone's walking through something tough. And Fifi's amazing at connecting people and Fifi goes, you know what, the way I'm thinking of helping you is getting you to talk to that person because you guys have both walked through some hard stuff. And that connection happens and someone is helped. Yes? Find out, help out. Every experience God has given us has shaped us. Blessed to be a blessing. No experience goes to waste in God's economy. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't make the beaten up man the Samaritan? I would have thought that would make more sense. Because he's trying to challenge Jews. So I would have thought he would have said there was a Samaritan and they go, yeah, he deserved to be beaten up. So yeah, he was over there. And a priest went by and someone else, but then a righteous Jew went by, crossed the racial barrier and helped him out. They're the sorts of Jews the Father's looking for. They're the sorts of Israelites the Father's looking for. Isn't that a good story? Why does he do it the other way around? The answer's obvious. He's like a master storyteller, subversive teacher. He rolls the hand grenade under the citadel of self, the wall, and they walk away and they go, he did that because I'm in the one in need. Ephesians 2 says, we're not half dead. We are dead, fully dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live before God reaches down with his grace and lifts us out of that pit. Amen? We're not half dead. Every person in this room is fully dead without Jesus crossing the road, finding out and lifting us out. That's why... That's why the Jew is the guy that gets beaten up, because it's us. We are the one. Jesus said, anyone who has known what love is can love. She was loved much. That's why she can love. Jesus came to our rescue. 
He took on the assignment. He left heaven. He found out what it was like to be human. And he went and lived the life that we couldn't live because he realized what we needed. He saw our brokenness. He's like, the Father needs perfection, perfect blood. I'm going to give it because that's what I can do for you. Dead, broken, lost, hopeless person that I love. So he gave his perfect life in our place, dying on a cross, and his blood was enough. And he reaches down and says, come on, there are no outsiders to my love. Come on, just grab my hand. Put your faith in me. I've done everything you need. I've come. I'm here to help. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. Jesus is the one who finds out and helps out, and then he calls us to do the same. He's the one who seeks and saves lost people, but he does it through this motley canvas. Us, the body of Christ. We are called to love others because Jesus has loved us already with everything he had to offer. May Northern Life Baptist Church become more and more the church that Jesus is proud to call his own. May we become fantastically adept at finding out the need and meeting it together as a team. And as we love in Jesus' name, in the unity of Jesus' name, and we lift up the fame of Jesus' name, he has promised that he will draw people unto himself. Amen.